Okay, hi, so sorry, first some brief trigger warnings. So in this conversation, we'll be talking about uh, racism and racialized prejudice, um, health complications due to HIV, um, and then so subsequently AIDS and deaths around that and the US treatment of the HIV crisis in America, and also um, immigration um, uh, and uh, media treatment of immigrants. So yeah, uh, so this is our present, our podcast about our scholars presentation. Um, I'm Rufus and I'm Ella uh, and we're both academic scholars here at Wellington and we um, uh, <laughs> and we are doing a um, presentation on titled the crisis of disparity in care um, and Ella will read us the full the full title of our um, the title is investigating methods of intervention for the disparity in care between marginalized peoples in crisis versus non-marginalized people in crisis um so yeah um uh, and we're going to be looking at that question from an interdisciplinary lens, focusing on visual arts, statistical analysis, um, and English literature. But um, uh, largely, we're talking about like culture and how we shape culture mm -hmm. um, theoretically. But that's not just through artistic mediums. So that's also through mediums like maths, which is what both of us take. I take maths A level and Ella takes further maths. Actually, we should probably start by yeah. giving us, giving e each of us a little academic introduction of ourselves. Yeah, we both do A-levels. Yeah. I do maths, further maths, physics and art. Um, and I do English, maths, philosophy and drama. So I think mine tend to be more artistic with a, with a hint of maths and Ella's are more mathematical, <laughs> but she she's more artistic than me. Don't. Oh. <laughs> Let's not get this just, <laughs> um, but yeah. No. <laughs> um, Our two case studies are the US governmental treatment of HIV um, slash AIDS pandemic and then also looking at the media treatment of Ukrainian refugees versus non-European refugees. Yeah, so we're talking about we're talking about the crisis of the disparity of care specifically in those two areas. Mm -hmm. um, and then one of the biggest parts, so the, the theme of the scholars presentation which we're doing is crisis and care. Um, and one of the biggest parts which um, Miss Sages and Dr. Cho are two um, teacher leaders, what they wanted us to do was try and think of intervention methods and how, how we as academics strive for intervention. Um, and we're looking at two, two different methods of intervention which are... Um, Statistical contextualization and cultural dialogue and artistry. Um, yeah. So, so for example, this podcast is cultural dialogue, um, uh, but we'll also be talking about statistical yeah, contextualization in in this podcast. So, yeah, we're merging these two methods of intervention in this. Um, and obviously, this isn't our actual presentation. This is just an artifact which we're which we're using as an example of how how we would strive for intervention. Our presentation tomorrow is also like five minutes long, so yeah. we wanted to take the time to like fully explore this because it's a very big, two very big subjects. Um, and personally, I don't think there's enough time in five minutes to talk about them. Um, yeah, exactly. We really so don't have time, and we just wanted to. Also, this is we we'll talk about more about like the emotional, the emotionality, and the our own cultural analysis because which we wouldn't really have time to do in the presentation. Mm -hmm. So we're just talking about this. This is a more personal discussion about mm -hmm. like our interpretations of these themes. Um, but yeah. So should we discuss the U.S. governmental treatment of HIV slash AIDS? Yes, crisis? we should. Um, so yeah, this is our, one of our, this is our first case study. Um, do you want to start? Um, yeah, I've been doing. We've kind of split the research slightly into the two um, topics, two case studies almost. Yeah. Um, 
so I've been looking at the HIV AIDS crisis and the lack of care for um, the LGBTQ plus community um, during and still today. Um, so we believe that there's a societal lack of care um, for the LGBTQ plus community, especially the ma male gay community um, during the HIV AIDS crisis from the 1980s. Um, and we define that by the disregard for the individuals due to their sexuality in addition to the stigma and abuse that society inflicted and um, on this community involving the spread of HIV. Um, and there's a really beautiful quote by Eve Kosofsky Sedgwick. I'm sorry if I pronounced her name wrong. Um, and she said, which is kind of analysis of the sad truth, that the ability of anyone in the culture to support and honor gay kids may depend on an ability to name them as such, notwithstanding that many gay adults may never have been gay kids and some gay kids may not turn into gay adults. Mm. It's a really sad quote. Yeah. Um, her writing is incredible. And that's from the epistemology of the closet. Um, in the late 1970s and early 1980s, um, a virus that had previously appeared sporadically around the world began to spread throughout the United States, originally defined as the gay disease, in quotes, because gay men were one of the primary groups afflicted, HIV and the syndrome it causes, AIDS, um, acquired, yeah, acquired immune deficiency syndrome. Um, they were both unknown in 1981, but had become household terms and the number one threat to public health by the late 1980s. Um, and it took like several years for HIV and AIDS to pop up on the one, some of the biggest news networks, etc. The government really didn't want to talk about it. And it's, it's really disgusting. And there's even, are we allowed to play videos like sound, do you think? Or... Um. Yeah, 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 really yeah that should work, definitely, yeah. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, and there's just, yeah, just kind of to elaborate, I think the the the, the biggest um, cultural issue with how it was handled was the fact that it was, like Ella said, first labelled the gay disease. Mm -hmm. um, and that kind of allowed, which is, so our, our topics might seem kind of separate, the two or two case studies, but they're actually very, very similar and both very, very closely linked under the disparity of... Uh, uh, care for marginalized peoples versus non-marginalized peoples um because the reason it was dealt with so badly especially by in the Amer in america by the u.s government was because it was quote unquote the gay disease um anella do you have the video uh yeah um and also that the fact that hiv aids was primarily affecting as we said gay men um yeah. and also drug users immigrants and racial minorities mm -hmm. um so that in addition yeah. um let me get the YouTube up. It's basically President Reagan's administration explicitly displaying just how poorly the government cared for people, in particular the gay community. Um, yeah. Um, okay, let me pull up the video. Hang on. Uh, but yeah, no, and I think it's just that kind of exacerbation of disenfranchisement, um, which is which is like clearly exemplified here. Um, that these these groups, because because this disease was only affecting these groups, um, it, it it wasn't deemed as serious or as an issue, um, because because they well, firstly weren't represented um, outwardly in the government, um, and then also just not represented in the culture as well or talked about in a positive light. Um, mm, it's being slightly difficult. Sorry. Yeah. This okay. This is a clip from it. 
you don't have it. Well, I'm relieved to hear that. Do you? You didn't answer my question. How do you know? Does the president, in other words, the White House looks on this as a great joke. No, I don't know anything about it, Lester. Does the president, does anybody in the White House know about this epidemic, Larry? I don't think so. I don't think there's been any. There's been no personal experience here, Lester. No, I mean... I thought you were Doctor, I checked thoroughly with Dr. Ruge this morning, and he's had no, uh, <laughs> no patients suffered from AIDS or whatever it is. The president doesn't have gay plague. Is that what you're saying? No, didn't say that. Didn't say that. I thought I heard you on the State Department over there. Why don't you stay over there? <laughs> because, because I love you, Larry. Oh, I see. Well, I, let's don't put it in those terms, Lester. <laughs> So there you can see, like, just, like, the fact that they're even joking about it, um, I think it was, like, I want to get this right, how many years after that they started mentioning it. Yeah, it's, um, it, it's just horrific, and I think, yeah, what struck out to me, yeah, like, gay plague, the terminology was used, and just the the, the, the huge amount of laughter in the room. Um, that's the presidential briefing room, like, that's, it, it, it's, it's... That's the top of the top people yeah. talking, and that that's what the public are hearing. Yeah. And the fact that there's already homophobia in society, in the US society, around the world, um, and still is, I'm not um, not taking that into consideration. Yeah, it says here, two years before the New York Times, which is one of the biggest um, publishers, news publishers, um, it was two years before they first published it in their first front page article, um, and four years before the president, Ronald Reagan, um, first mentioned it publicly. Yeah, which is crazy. The fact that thousands and millions were dying, like that, yeah. And and and, it, and it, it's such it's such an intensely deadly. Um, well, it was. Thankfully, we have more treatment now, which we will go on to when we speak about intervention. But the fact that it was such an intensely um, and still corrosive, is yeah, yeah, cannot. and still is if people aren't don't have access to treatment. Um, mm -hmm. It's 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 just horrific. And there's like I think you can tell Ella and I are getting quite aggravated because right and and rightly so because yeah. it is it's it's horrific. It is horrific and it's shameful that. Mm -hmm. as like a wider global society we allowed that to happen mm -hmm. um it's, it's it's ridiculous yeah and there there is still no cure and mm. despite um significant progress the global aids epidemic is far from over 1.7 million people around the world were infected with hiv in 2019 um bringing the total number of people living with aids today to 38 million um the first scientific report that was made Public two years after acknowledging the disease, um, labels it as the gay disease, which which like just furthers mm. you know, if that's the first thing that society sees, it's horrific. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and and, and they basically, it's, it it just becomes if if well, it's not it's not an, it's not an assumption to say that society at the time was intensely homophobic if the society is homophobic an issue being an issue being presented as the gay disease quote unquote that that, that that's not going to be an urgent issue for that society because they don't care and it, it, it's a it's horrific but they don't and it's just really upsetting mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um yeah it's really upsetting um is that is that all of the um context or is that, <laughs> there's a lot more. yeah no, i was gonna say i was gonna um, say like I how can much say, say another quote by the same lady as early, earlier um which is kind of uh, an analysis of sexuality and culture 
um, and its uh, modern Western culture has placed what it calls sexuality in a more and more distinctively privileged relation to our most prized constructs of individual identity, truth and knowledge. It becomes truer and truer that the language of sexuality not only intersects with but transforms the other languages and relations by which we know. Um, which leads into our um, into like the creation during the crisis, um, bringing into um, this analysis the art um, mm. that an interest that we both share. Yeah, um, and it's you cannot kind of dismiss the art that was created during that time because it's so powerful and, and it was so it was one of the biggest ways that they got the government like um, people protested and got the government involved mm -hmm, and. and mm -hmm tried to make it better for everyone living with HIV. Um, yeah, and then subsequently AIDS. Um, um, there's a really beautiful, I mean, we have Kayla Beja, um, for example, who's an American fine artist, and she's done this beautiful series, um, which is a so socio-political commentary on the effects of growing up as a young woman of color with HIV. Um, and she's also the former mother of the Royal House of Labeja which is another thing that we won't go into, but um, houses were and still are um, a way that predominantly people of color, but young people who are LGBTQ+, um, they formed houses in the late 1980s and still today, um, but as a way that they can kind of choose their own families if their own families wouldn't um, support them. Yeah, so like that, yeah, that concept of disenfranchised peoples coming together um, in, in usually artistic ways. Was it large, am I right in saying largely in New York? or? Yeah, uh, yeah. well, we're specifically looking at New yeah, York. Yeah, we're specifically looking at New York, yeah. Yeah. Um, um, but her work is beautiful. And I mean, I'm looking at one now. I'll show Rufus quickly. Yeah, um, wow. Where she's sitting on the bed getting the HIV treatment. Mm -hmm. um, and she's just sitting in a beautiful red dress with a white rose. And I just think it holds purity and peace and but also confidence yeah um you can probably search it search up that photo mm -hmm. um uh and if if not you can also always email I, we should have said this at the beginning you can mm -hmm. email either ella or i um and reach out about um obviously if you're if you're in the college you can email us on our email just search up ella or rufus um mm -hmm. uh and you can you can email us uh, and we, we have to speak to you more about it and show mm -hmm. some of our um physical documentation or the presentation mm-hmm there's a beautiful description here. It says, the AIDS crisis changed the art world, taking many artists far too early, but also generating some of the most moving and politically impactful works in recent history. Today, the work of younger artists is crucial in bringing forth the multifaceted realities of HIV AIDS and the marginalized communities most affected by it. While access to treatment and prevention has become more widely available for some, the crisis is still far from over, as mentioned before. And then another artist is, and I don't know how to pronounce his surname, I'm sorry, um, David Wojnarowicz. I'm sorry if I screwed that up. Um, and, I mean, as you can see, it, it's he has a very famous series where he sews up his mouth, mouth and, yeah. and that was kind of his silent way. It, it's photography. Yeah. Um, and it's pretty gruesome, but... Um, it's moving. It's this silent protest. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. But it speaks very loudly. That, you know, they weren't, it wasn't encouraged to talk about. Mm. Even the, the the top of the people in government didn't want to talk about it or made jokes about it. That's horrific. And pushed it apart whilst yeah. these people were dying. Yeah. Mm. Um, and moving on to what we can do now. Oh, well, sure. Should we, should we do 
Should we talk about the other? Yeah, and then, and then come okay. into interventions for both of them? Yeah, sure. Okay, does that Perfect. make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. Um, uh, and then, so our other case study, like we mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, um, is media treatment of Ukrainian versus non-European refugees. Um, and so, well, so this is, um, this is a much more contemporary um, issue. But obviously, no, obviously, no, that's, that's wrong of me to say that it, it, we're, we're looking, we're looking at the treatment of the uh, HIV crisis specifically in the 20th century and, and, in, and, and it, as it was burgeoning and in its um, creation, obviously, it's still, a, it's still a huge issue to talk about um, and which we, which we need to talk about right now. But uh, this, this second case study is um, specifically what we're talking about now is a, is a much more new new topic um so there's arguably less art formed on it which makes it interesting because we can see how how like it's, it's shaping art right now mm. um or perhaps m maybe less known art yeah as it's so recent exactly exactly definitely and yeah mm. it would be really interesting to see um ukrainian art right now mm -hmm. um but yeah so so what we want to say to start off with firstly is obviously so in on the 24th of february 2022 russia invaded and occupied parts of ukraine um in a major escalation of the Russia-Ukraine war, um, which did begin in 2014. Uh, and the, the invasion has resulted in tens of thousands of deaths and both sides um, uh, have, instiga have instigated Europe's largest refugees crisis in, since World War II. Um, around, eight, around 8 million Ukrainians were um, displaced from the country by June, which is horrific. Um, uh, however, while obviously this is a very, very... Um, it's a traumatic conflict and it's awful that it's happening. Um, we're specifically looking at um, how the media, media treatment of specifically the refugees, but also the people in, in the conflict zones in Ukraine, how, the, how their media treatment has differed from non-European non um, refugees and non-European people. Non-white refugees. Yeah, specifically non-white. Um, uh, yeah, refugees and people peoples in crisis um and country conflict um uh and so there are some really really quite shocking unfortunately there are some really really quite shocking and upsetting um news quotes and news recordings of um <laughs> news reporters speaking about the conflict um in a way which really diminishes um uh non-european and non-white refugees um and just for just for context, um, right now, seventy-two percent of refugees um, originate from just from just five countries. Uh, Ukraine is third in that, um, uh, with Saudi Arabia being um, top and Venezuela being second. Um, uh, but um, but according to specifically media in the West specifically UK where we are obviously and um America uh does not reflect that and is not um appropriate to that um and there are some quite awful quotes which I could read out now um which can we say is from again some of the top and yeah. most well-known yeah, so news is, websites this was this was broadcasted by the British board um, BBC. Broad, yeah, BBC, British Broadcasting Company. Is that it? Yeah, I think that's yeah. what it's that's for. Which um, questionably is the biggest. Yeah, no, well, it, in it, it's, it's definitively the biggest. Mm -hmm. And it's the government sanctioned, government paid for um, uh, news broadcasting um, uh, company in, in the UK um, and has basically a monopoly on British media. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and this was, this, this was broadcasted 
it wasn't said by a BBP presenter, but BBP presenter acknowledged it and just moved on. Thankfully, the BBC, BBC presenters now um, gone back and apologised for not calling out. But the fact that it happened on air and was broadcasted is horrific. So the quote was said by Ukraine's former deputy chief prosecutor, David Sa- Sakvarelze, um, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, who when he was um, deputy chief prosecutor, so very, very high up in the Ukrainian government. Um, and he, he says, quote unquote, It's very emotional for me because I see European people with blue eyes and blonde hair being killed. Like that's, that's, it's it's crazy that that's Mm. something that was said and was approved. Like that's, like that's, it's just so confusing and it just perpetuates such archaic and such horrific um, examples of racialized prejudice and racism. And it's just, it's, it's so, and it's, it's really, really difficult to talk about well, it's difficult for me personally because I, I'm so I'm not, I'm not white, um, but it's also difficult to talk about because you because you really really don't want to be diminishing the issue of the Ukraine conflict because it is horrific, it's so upsetting. But we do also need to talk about um, how the media is treating it uh, and how the media are treating other other refugees. Um, another quote is um, uh, this is from Julia Ioff on CNN. So America's biggest broadcasting agency and also one that's considered usually more um, left wing and usually more progressive. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and it's quote unquote, it's one thing for sarin gas to be used on people in far in faraway Syria who are Muslim and of different culture. culture. What, is Europe, what, what is Europe going to do when it's on European soil done to Europeans? Yes. Like it's it's actually horrific. It's it's so upsetting, and it's like so, it's just so hard. Like it, it's crazy that that's something that that's happening in our world right now. Um, and obviously, that there's so much conflict in the world. Why drive more division and drive more conflict by saying these exactly. such needless things? People, if if the only reason you're you feel like you should be helping those in crisis and those and refugees is because they look like you and because they have blonde hair and blue eyes that's ridiculous it's so it's 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 horrendous mm-hmm. um a third quote is um from matthew wright a famous a person in the uk on itv on this morning itv's flagship show he said there are rumors of thermo of a thermobaric bomb which to be fair the us have used before in afghanistan but the idea of it being used in europe is stomach churning it's just that yeah what, like what, why why is it stomach churning it's it's so it's so ridiculous why is it more stomach churning just because it's in europe yeah okay it's close to your home but there are people everywhere and people are, people are the same it just it's I, and it feels so strange to literally have to be having to be re- reiterating why racism is bad now but i think it's just because and because because there's a because there, there's a there, there feels like there's a consensus that we have to be helping Ukraine right now, which we should be. Um, but just because we're helping them, it doesn't mean all of our other, all of the other progressions that we've made in our society just get thrown away. Um, uh, I can play a, um, I can play a video extract, but I think I've actually read out enough. Um, so I, I also just wanted to put in a, put in a quote from, um, uh, no, it's fine. It's fine. I think I don't think we need to. Okay. Um, I, so there's this um, really amazing article by um, uh, by Doctor Eva Polonska Kimung 
Gia, Kimongi, um, uh, titled War, Resistance and Refuge, Racism and Double Standards in Western Media Coverage of Ukraine. Um, and this is on uh, the LSC website um, from May 2022. So it's interesting that it's been talked about from quite early in the conflict. Um, but she 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 quotes, and I think this is basically sums up the whole topic, that racism remains a dominant organizing force of the global politics of war. And that's exactly what it is. So that like, because if we think of the media as the way culture, well, largely culture is shifted and, and like cultural dialogue, which is one of our intervention methods, um, cultural dialogue is progresses. Having, having racism perpetuated in that is firstly so harmful to the, to, to people, to non-white peoples in, um, uh, in conflict. It's also just ridiculously harmful to, to everyone and to our society and to anyone who, who is a, who is in a racial, racial minority. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. It's pretty heavy, unfortunately. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, um, but I think we can now. I think that's enough of establishing the issues. It's, yeah, it's pretty pretty dark, um, uh, and we can kind of now move on to interventions. Mm -hmm. um, so, do we want to first look at statistical contextualization as an intervention? Ooh. This is Ella's baby. <laughs> it's been stressing me out, and. I I yeah. still need to do a little bit more work, but I, I don't have the answers right now. Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't really matter. It's just like how 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 yeah, we would go about. Um, and so just well, yeah. So before I, I'll just give what statistical contextualization means to me. Um, so that's specifically um, talking about how 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 accurate is our, for example, media representation or um, or even our like distribution of aid how how accurate is that as in humanitarian aid from our country to other countries or within our own country how how accurate is that to what statistics of need actually show um so for example like how many how many um ukrainian refugees are there in relation to saudi arabian refugees or how many um people that are there with aids than people with other viruses sorry not hiv not aids sorry um uh but yeah and then Ella. Yeah, I'm just trying to pull up one of the spreadsheets. Sure, no worries. Okay, so um, I was looking at HIV, AIDS, and um, what we can do right now. Um, and there's so there's a treatment called ART, which is anti antiretroviral medication, um, and it's a description of it is uh, once HIV positive individuals viral load in the blood becomes undetectable following treatment the infection becomes untransmittable then as long as they continue taking their medication as prescribed to keep their viral load undetectable there is um, effectively no risk of infecting others um, and this is probably the best therapy that we have at the moment for HIV positive mm. people in um, well hopefully never letting it being able to turn into aids yeah um and it also allows it allows um for example hiv positive women to have children again um and uh hiv positive people to have with a sexual relations yeah with a much less yeah, yeah, risk yeah. of getting yeah. it on yeah um much much lower so i i've been basically looking at um how can we contextualize this in a way that 
um, we can find the country or several countries um, that we need to look at most in in providing and then distributing this therapy. Um, and to do that, I've been looking at the percentage that uh, of people that are HIV positive, the percentage that already um, have access and who are already taking the therapy uh, are on art, ART, um, and also the people in that country who who are not on it, although they are HIV positive. Um, and then the percentage of deaths from AIDS in these countries, um, and also um, kind of dappling in the amount of children that are infected and also women infected, um, because I believe that's the way that, well, it's, like that's how it's going to continue on and on and on. Yeah. And obviously it's tr transmitted between adults as well. I'm, I'm obviously, but um, I, I thought that was also an interesting statistic to look at. Um, and then uh, also further research on infrastructure, transport and health um, of these countries once we found which is, w which countries we're looking at. Um, so if I look at the ART coverage among people living with HIV in, in several countries, um, such as Nigeria, Ethiopia, South Africa, um, and, and many more, and they are actually all in Africa. Um, so the highest, like the, the, uh, the country, sorry, um, that has the most people living uh, with HIV and uh, who are not receiving the therapy is, is Nigeria. And there are 29 million, 29.6 million people who are not um, having access to this um, therapy, which is crazy. Mm. Um, so, so that had a big impact on my final um, group waiting average. Um, which I'm still figuring out, so I'm sorry I couldn't get that done by today. It was <laughs> it wasn't working out for me. Um, uh, so that's an interesting interesting statistic. And then I the second weighted um, average um, was also pos people positive with HIV in those countries. Um, the largest being um, South Africa had the largest population who are HIV positive um, in the world currently and then also looking about uh, um, uh, at the amount of deaths um which is also south africa having the largest of um 150,000 although i would think there's much bigger so maybe there's a 10 um it's a 10 out um and also then nigeria and mozambique um mm. and then the amount of women who are hiv positive um is South Africa, Mozambique, and then Nigeria, um, followed by Tanzania. Um, yeah, sorry, there's not too much detail on that, um, but Excel no, no, has no, no, not no. been working out for me. No, and it's, it's, it is just really interesting to look at the contextualization. And obviously, <laughs> while um, these obviously are, like, the results are differed, referring to the country's population size, because obviously Ni Nigeria will have a, you know, obviously because that's such a big population, will have a high amount. Um, it still does, if correct me if I'm wrong, Ella, but it still does indicate how much aid should be distributed to the countries because the country there's still that amount of people there with 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 um, that amount of people there untreated. So I guess it it gives us a it gives us the ability to know how to um, mm. treat them. Yeah, it, it's know. 
it's a complicated weighted average because some countries um, have really great access to ART um, and that's kind of maybe why it's taking so long uh, because there are so many different factors that are going into this. Um, it, it makes it very hard to know exactly which country we need to focus. I mean, there are so many, um, uh, but that was a little bit that I was analyzing. But yeah, no, I think statistical contextualization can be a really, really useful tool um, in um, basically removing the disparity of in care of between marginalized peoples because it's because statistics aren't weighted and aren't biased by um, racism or homophobia or misogyny or any other um, bigoted ideology. Uh, there's statistical contextualization can be really, really useful because it's much more um yeah much more unbiased much more um i'm trying to find the word but it's not coming yeah, to me but in a way um, also just blind like yeah it, mm. it, facts don't lie is the phrase but. <laughs> <laughs> but um i mean we also there's also another side to that where there are many countries like the uk i was looking at um for a source for the for those pieces of data was um un aids um via the world bank and we didn't even have there was no data for the US, for England, for China, for Russia. There were, so there were so many countries that we didn't have data for, mm. which we know this um, pandemic has obviously affected. Yeah. Um, so it, it is biased in a way, depending on what the country, how much they want to give that information away. Um, yeah. mm -hmm. And those statistics may not com be completely honest because they haven't been able to get to those people um, due to lack of transport, exactly. etc. So, so there are so many factors um, to bear in mind. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, yeah, this was another piece. Of, like, I, I was looking at all these. There are so so on that website on our world and data. There is so there are so many different graphs and, and charts and stuff giving this information. It was very overwhelming, but. Um, some things I started to write down were like you in Uganda, 50.9% of people um, in what they call um, high risk sex, which just means unmarried couples, basically, um, which is. Yeah, weird term, but mm -hmm. exactly. <laughs> but that, that, I'm just quoting yeah, what they yeah, said. Yeah, yeah. Um, That's not us, guys. 50, basically 51% use condoms, although 17.5% um, of their population are HIV positive and 70% have access to ART. So it's that's just an example of how complicated yeah, it is yeah, trying yeah, to yeah, figure yeah. it out um but it was, it was very interesting yeah and then so the second part to this um was um and what we can do is prevention of mother to child transmission and and that's basically again distributing the art therapy because if one is on it who is hiv positive there's a much 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 it's a minute um chance that the mother can give it on to the baby if they also respect um other processes such as not breastfeeding their child um, to increase the risk and then the next one is having safe sex so that um under that is education as well as um making sure there's people have access to condoms etc and other mm -hmm. and that that also links to then yeah cultural other things obviously that, um, yeah, like, like cultural shifting and like how how we make safe sex as um, culturally mandated as possible, basically, mm -hmm. or just as culturally normal. 
Mm-hmm. And then there's uh, general education on HIV AIDS and trying to destroy the sig- stigma that comes with it um, regarding the LGBTQ plus community and the homophobia mm-hmm. um, and other forms of inequity among that. Uh, and then uh, f- also funding to support efforts against a- HIV AIDS. Um, that I think that's, I mean, there's a lot more, but but I think that's good for sure. now. We've kind of given a brief overview. Um, and I was just going to... Um go on to um then i think yeah i think that serves as like a really useful microcosm of how statistical conceptualization can can serve as an intervention mm-hmm. and how when we circulate circulate statistical facts which put things in perspective it can allow us to um uh look at is- issues without our either intentional or, or unconscious bias um mm-hmm. and see what care actually needs to be given to people in crisis no matter Mm -hmm. whether they're marginalized or not and that actually links into kind of the news and how you're going to present it to society um finished like ending of the hiv aids discussion um for statistical contextualization also um educating everyone in school like about this virus what the truth is Mm. um about it and um how it could spread um, and and how it can affect anyone. Destroying the stigma around HIV and AIDS is something that we still have to put our efforts into today. By educating everyone, we can hope to create an understanding environment where everyone can be safer and more aware in addition to everyone being able to support HIV positive people and caring for people who have lost loved ones to this virus. Yeah. <laughs> um, no worries. Um, then, so should we move on to... Mm-hmm. Um, so then, so our other intervention uh, angle or method of intervention was cultural dialogue and artistry um, as a method of intervention. Um, and so, yeah, we mentioned this podcast is an example of cultural dialogue. Um, and we are, this is like an artifact that we're making um, to link to our presentation as this is, this is cultural dialogue. And this is how hopefully, well, so if, if, for example, this podcast was listened to by many people including for example bbc presenters hopefully hopefully <laughs> that that might lead we would hope <laughs> we would hope that that might lead to um more awareness and less less of this disparity um in care for marginalized peoples which i'm just repeating the title over and over again but just <laughs> hammering it in sorry just accidentally paused we're on we're carrying on it's fine it's fine it's all good it's are you sure good. it's good yeah, yeah it's good um, I swear if you lose all of this. <laughs> no, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. Okay. Um, uh, but yeah, so cultural dialogue and artistry is an intervention. Um, so, yeah, um, we've, we're going, don't have that much time, so we're going to have to um, go through this at a little bit of a pace. Um, but I think it's still t- there's still time to talk about it in depth. So cultural dialogue, I guess to us, means how, how we shift culture that's yes through arts but also through just discussion and through media and our news um how we shift discussion around topics and general consensus around topics um uh and there's lots and lots and lots of um cultural and artistic um pieces which reference these two um our two specific case studies as well um so some amazing ones which i think i found so last year in um so yeah, last year, 2022, in the summer, I was in Paris and I went to an amazing exhibition in the Palais de Tokyo, um, on, um, which was titled, 
let me find it sorry basically there's this there's this amazing artist called um laura henno who's um largely a videographer filmmaker and um a photographer but she um so in this solo exhibition at the Palais de Tokyo, Laura Henno presented a collection of films and photographs that she's produced um, largely in the Comoros archipelago since 2013. So she's been she spent a lot of the time there, basically throughout throughout her life, and in particular in the Comoros archipelago between um, Mayoet and Anjouan. Um, and this specifically... Um, uh, uh, and the, the, this specifically is talking about um, immigration and non-white immigration and how that's and just how that's dealt with and the, like the the reality of non-white immigration. Um, just for those who don't know, Comoros, the Com the Comoro Islands or Comoros Island Islands are an, is an archipelago um, a little bit east and northwest of Madagascar and to the east of Mozambique um, in Mozambique ter territory. Um, and in this and in this um in these pieces she um laura henno explored the lives of, okay, i'm just i'm going to quote from the Pali de tokyo website laura henno explores the lives of marginalized peoples and the spaces of resistance that they are organized in reaction to situations of domi of domination and exclusion um uh and so her most the ones which link to this topic the most are um uh the commerce are, are so yeah this is a quote about that over the course of her encounters she has created a close bonds with patron the child a child of water whose apprenticeship is a people smuggler on board of kwasa kwasa the makeshift boat that links and anjuan to mayotte is a subject of the film Kuropa 2016. Kuropa was one of the films i watched and it was really really moving um uh and um sadly uh it's it it's a, it's about yeah a boy and this this happens again sadly a lot um there are there's there's a tradition of um basically these um boys being um used to um take refugees in speedboats and small speedboats to mainland mozambique um uh to mainland mozambique so that they face the if if they're caught by police face the biggest brunt of um immigration law um mm -hmm. and basically um adults will take refugees um from the islands onto an abandoned island leave them there get the get the get the adult refugee get the refugees to pay, pay more money for then these small boys to take them to the mainland um and it's just pretty horrific um but Kuropa is um a film it has very very little dialogue um and it and it's just um when did it come out sorry this is 2016 originally okay. but i watched it in 2022 mm -hmm. and it got so it got short film competition prize in um brussels um the brussels jury award uh it won festival Angers premier plan um lots of french um awards that's one two three four five six seven eight eight awards um and it was screened at many many festivals so thankfully while it's not obviously like huge in our idea of the world right now it has had quite a big like cultural impact and it's it's basically an amazing film and it's it's almost all dark and you just see um 
uh, this boy on the speedboat being spoken to by an old, older man. And it's just that there's, there's a desperation in his eyes. And, and the photography that paired with it is also really moving. Um, but that's just an example of how culture and art can tell a story um, of, of um, non-white refugees. And, and so that's an example of artistry as an inter intervention in non-white refugees um, and giving them as much care and what petitioning for us to give them as us and when I say us I'm referring to the West petitioning for us to give them as much care as possible um, in uh, um, yeah in our humanitarian aid um, and then Ella did you want to speak about maybe some um, artistry or cultural dialogue that sh shapes um, HIV um, the HIV treatment mm. of US I know we've got a lot um, in our presentation, we've got some photography by Nan Golden, mm -hmm. which um, links about that. Do you want to speak about that? Maybe? Mm -hmm. um, Nan Golden was a very popular, f well, to certain people, um, <laughs> in the 1980s. I love her works. Yeah. Um, and she photographed a lot of um, people in the LGBTQ plus community who are also suffering from HIV um, and AIDS related illnesses. Um, so her work is amazing in displaying that. Um, in addition to, there's a very good documentary if um, you haven't heard before called Paris is Burning and it's a documentary of um, the LGBTQ plus community in New York in the 1980s. Um, it's beautiful. Very, it very is amazing. Shot. Um, and um, it's also just so powerful. One of the yeah. only documentaries from that time, if, if not the only one that I, I know of, which is maybe kind of bad. Um, uh, there's also um, a I, I'm not even sure I think maybe it's a series that sounds really arrogant of me but uh, another piece of cinematography called Pigheads um, which was also recommended to me on the subject um, mm. those are two I recommend yeah and there's I'm, and they think especially for um, just in, in general um, homophobia I think a lot of our societal movement away from homophobia thankfully has been due to art and just visualizing homoeroticism um and homoerotic touch uh and that's that's prevalent in like film and photography and um culture in general and then we could talk about many films um for example like oscar recognized call me by your name in 2017 that's off the top I'm of my head sure. but i'm not sure if that's right uh luca guadagnini's film um I think it's been 2018. 2018. Oh, it's close. <laughs> uh, has been, um, I think people have said that's been pretty in instrumental, but then again, films like Brokeback Mountain, which I think was 2009. Um, but there are basically, there are lots and lots of um, like visualizations. And then for, sorry, um, Woman and Woman, uh, there's also Portrait of Lady on Fire, which is another amazing film. Um, but yeah, sorry, um, <laughs> we don't have that much time. But I think we've actually kind of talked about all that we wanted to talk about. And I think this is really, really useful because we've been able to discuss rather than just present mm -hmm. in our presentation. We've, so we've just recorded 47 minutes. Our presentation <gasps> has to be five. I think, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> like whoever's listening to this. And also for us, it's, it's really yeah. helpful because we just yeah, we have to squish it, it yeah. now <laughs> into five. Um, but yeah, basically just, and our two case studies, I think serve as microcosms for how we use specifically cultural dialogue and artistry and statistical contextualization to um, intervene in 
the disparity in care for marginalized peoples versus non-marginalized peoples in similar situations. But yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for listening. Are there any closing? No, just thank you for listening (laughs) and withstanding that. And if you have any more questions or you want to continue the discussion, then reach out to us, either of us, Mm -hmm. happily. All right. Um, All right. (laughs) Well, yeah. Okay. Thank you. (laughs) Au revoir. See you. (laughs) Goodbye. (laughs)